Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today in another sign of optimism, the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts is scheduling shows again. MCPA Executive Director Heather Clough shares the latest update. Also this morning, after the Capitol riots, corporate America pledged to withhold political contributions to members of Congress who perpetuated the myth of a stolen election. Idle threat or major shift in their influence over politics and policy? Traditionally, agriculture has been the domain of rural America, but the 2018 Farm Bill called for the creation of a new office within USDA to support the growing urban ag industry. And we have details on February programming from the Hancock Park District. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for a wintry mix of precipitation today with a high of 34. Mostly cloudy tonight, low of 27. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office says it believes a person of interest in a Macomb homicide died in central Ohio after crashing while fleeing from police. The Sheriff's Office responded to an address on South Meadow Drive in Macomb early Monday and found a man deceased. The man's son became a person of interest. An attempt to locate was put out for the son and for the deceased's vehicle. That vehicle was located in Franklin County in central Ohio and is believed to be involved in a shooting incident and a pursuit that resulted in a crash and the driver's death. Get more on our website. A challenger to Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan has announced his candidacy for the next election. Army veteran Jeff Seitz will run as a Democrat for Ohio's 4th District. In his statement, he took aim at Representative Jim Jordan. He said Jim has been the best co-conspirator Trump could ask for, but he hasn't done squat for Ohio in 14 years in Washington. We deserve a congressman who will fight for working families as hard as Jim Jordan fought to undermine democracy. Again, that is a statement from the challenger to Jim Jordan. That's ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. Get more on Jeff Seitz on our website. Governor DeWine has ordered $390 million in across-the-board budget cuts for the rest of the fiscal year, which ends in June, reflecting the ongoing impact the pandemic is having on the state finances. DeWine announced the cuts while authorizing additional money for the Departments of Education and Higher Education to the tune of about $260 million. Last June, DeWine cut $775 million from the budget because of plummeting revenue due to the coronavirus pandemic. The new president and CEO of the Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation, Dr. Brian Treese, is launching a listening tour to learn about the needs of the community firsthand. He says the feedback garnered from the listening tour will become part of the foundation's strategic planning going forward. Get more details on our website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek, WFIN News. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate today, it is Lotus 123 Day, which marks the anniversary of the day in 1983 when the Lotus 123 spreadsheet program debuted as an application for the IBM PC. Raise your hands if you remember using Lotus 123 or VisiCalc on Apple, which was the companion, uh, you know, similar uh, program for the uh, Apple uh, computer. So those two, Lotus123 and VisiCalc, were the first killer apps, software that was so good that it made a whole computer system worth buying for business. And the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, think about that. It was it was those two programs that really drove the adoption of computers in the workplace. And here we are today. So Lotus 123 Day today. It is also National Green Juice Day. <laughs> now I have no idea what that's all about. That doesn't sound too appetizing. National Green Juice Day. National Peanut Brittle Day. That's more like it. National Plan for Vacation Day. And how ironic is that? That we get planned for vacation day on a day when it just so happens we've got snow and ice and all of that. So, a perfect day to start planning for your next vacation. It is Speak Up and Succeed Day and it is Spouses Day. So, a big salute to my spouse and your spouse and everyone's spouse. It is a little bit slick this morning. 
uh, some of the untreated roads and sidewalks and so on. So do be careful out there this morning. Although we didn't get quite as much, I don't think, as perhaps what they expected with respect to snow, which that's a that's a good thing, I suppose. Although a little bit more snow cover would have covered up the ice and made it a little bit easier, perhaps, to navigate. But in any event, it is a bit slickery this morning, so do be careful on your way to work or school or wherever it is that you are off to. You know, the uh, 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo were postponed last year because of the pandemic, and now there is uh, there is a rumor going around that they will be canceled altogether. Now, the Olympic Committee in Tokyo says, no, they're going to go ahead. They're, they're going to move forward as planned. But it is a persistent rumor that they're not going to be able to, to take place in Japan. If that happens, the chief financial officer of the state of Florida, Jimmy Petronas, sent a letter to the head of the International Olympic Committee saying his state would be happy to host them. Uh, writing that he wanted to, quote, encourage you to consider relocating the 2021 Olympics, now the 2021 Olympics, from Tokyo to the United States and more specifically to Florida. The letter was also posted online. Mr. Protonis's offer comes amid media reports that Japan may cancel the Tokyo Olympics, which had already been pushed back from 2020 due to the pan- pandemic, yada, 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 yada. Petronas cited what he said is the success of Florida's rollout of the vaccine, its economic reopening, sports events it's hosted during the pandemic, and the fact that its theme parks, including Disney World, are open. He writes, whatever precautions are required, let's figure it out and get it done. So I can't imagine that they would that they would do that. Relocate. And it's kind of interesting. This is the uh, chief financial officer of the state of Florida. Not the governor, not uh, the state legislature. I don't know how they feel. I don't know if he ran that idea by, you know, the actual elected officials in the state or not. But in any event, that is out there. Maybe they move the uh, Summer Olympics to Florida. I don't know. A couple of other uh, interesting stories. Uh, Some of the most buzzworthy items to start your day. Speaking of theme parks, I mentioned Disney World there in Florida. Usually, if you want to attend a theme park in the U.S. during the winter, you had to head to Disney in Florida or California. Disneyland remains closed, but now some seasonal parks are expanding their operating seasons into January and February as well. Six Flags Over Texas near Dallas and Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia are two of the parks that are now open. Normally, they would be closed this time of year, but they are open. The trend is partly fueled by the pandemic as theme parks are largely an outdoor experience, obviously, and therefore considered safer forms of entertainment than some others. In addition, many Americans aren't working traditional schedules right now and have more flexibility to visit parks this time of year. Uh, Adding winter events helps uh, theme park add value to its annual membership programs, especially after the pandemic forced parks to close and reduce capacity during the peak summer operating time. Six Flags Over Texas, for example, presenting its first ever fire and ice winter festival on weekends through February 28th. Uh, They are having fireworks every Saturday. Most rides will be open. Six Flags Senior Vice President Sherman Weber says, quote, the world has changed, not just COVID. People want to come out. They can experience the parks without the big crowds. Unquote. That is true, although it should be pointed out that in Williamsburg, Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia is open, rides and, and all. The high temperature this weekend gonna be only in the forties. <laughs> maybe the fit maybe the low fifties, but still a little chilly to be on some of those coasters, don't you think? That would be a little chilly. Uh let's see what else is uh going on here. Oh, we've been having fun with uh, Bernie Sanders' mittens. Uh, became one of the biggest fashion statements during and after the presidential inauguration last week. Maybe the biggest fashion statement of the inauguration. The senator's hard-to-miss mittens 
along with his brooding pose, were turned into a meme that has quickly swept the internet. Um, now the senator hopes that he can bottle some of that lightning and make a difference by updating his official merchandise store. Bernie Sanders' official merchandise store uh, has all kinds of stuff with the image of him sitting there in his mittens at the inauguration. Uh, the hot ticket item currently turning heads on the Sanders campaign store is the uh, Chairman Sanders crew neck for $45. It is already sold out, but should be back in stock within four to eight weeks. And by the way, yes, it was made in the USA. Uh, plus, it touted 100% combed, ring-spun, organic cotton fleece. Uh, let's see here. The heartwarming thing about Sanders cashing in on his viral fame is that all the proceeds from the sweatshirt are going toward Meals on Wheels in Vermont, according to the website. So that's pretty cool. Um, and by the way... The uh, woman who knitted the mittens, uh, teacher Jen Ellis, second grade teacher in Vermont, uh, whipped up three more pairs and is auctioning them off on eBay. One will benefit Passion for Paws, a Vermont-based foster dog rescue. Another will support uh, her own daughter's college fund, which is pretty cool. And the third pair donated to Outright Vermont, who is auctioning off the mittens for charity. So she says, I am not, uh, she says, I am not authorized to disclose the amount that, uh, the amount of money that they have raised, but it is big and it is amazing. So that's, but he cashing in, but in a good way on that. And by the way, speaking of uh, Bernie Sanders and his mittens, how about this? This may be taking it a little, over the top. The Bernie Sanders meme, this is the story, the Bernie Sanders meme that is making waves on the internet is now a permanent part of the life of one man in Denver who recently got the iconic photo of Bernie Sanders tattooed on his arm. It was uh, done at the Copperhead Tattoo Parlor uh, in Colorado. Features Mr. Sanders sitting cross-legged, masked, and wearing his now-beloved mittens at the inauguration. The artist who has been identified as Sam Kuhn, says uh, she believes while some tattoos gain meaning with age, others are just meant to make you smile. Okay, that's all well and good, but we do... I mean, it's a, it's funny and all of that, and it does kind of make you smile, but would you tattoo it permanently on your body? I don't know. That, that may be taking it a little over the top there. Anyway, some of the uh, most interesting, most buzzworthy stories to kick off your Tuesday morning. WFIN Radio News. We keep you in the know with the events of our community that affect you and your family. Whenever it happens, you can count on us to fill you in with the information you need. We'll also keep you up to date with all the latest from around the Buckeye State with the help of the Ohio News Network. And we cover the nation and the world with the resources of ABC News. The information you need around the clock from your news authority. 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and now at 95.5 FM. Oh, these days we look for any little sign of optimism we can find. And here is the latest. The Marathon Center for the Performing Arts is back to scheduling shows for the 2021-22 Performing Arts season. MCPA Executive Director Heather Klo joins us on the line this morning. And Heather, I got the uh, patrons, uh, the MCPA uh, got an email blast uh, what just a few days ago. I know this has also been posted uh, on your uh, website. Uh, there is some activity starting up once again, slowly but surely, at the Marathon Center. Yeah, fingers crossed at least. <laughs> There's a, finally a glimmer of hope out there, I think. And it's kind of ironic, you know, we've mentioned perhaps uh, no other industry has been impacted uh, as thoroughly as the entertainment industry, um, and and especially the live entertainment industry uh, as, by this pandemic, with the exception of, uh, of maybe uh, hospitality, restaurants, and, and so on, and 
that is one of the most symbiotic relationships within the community uh, between downtown restaurants and so on in the Marathon Center. So uh, this is something that impacts uh, even more than just your own, um, you know, your own organization. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we um, we we do have a big impact on downtown economy and the economy in Hancock County. I think a lot of times people that work in the arts sort of focus on the the nice parts of it, you know, the the fun parts, why we got into the arts, what we love about it, and we kind of forget that we're an important economic driver. Um, sure. You know, Ohio has really become sort of the Midwest cultural center, and we've been shut down for almost. It, It'll be 18 months between shows, I think, is what it'll end up probably wow. being. That is, uh, that is pretty huge. dramatic. Yeah. Uh, now, I, there are, there, fortunately, the uh, community has uh, been incredibly generous uh, in, in helping you get through this incredibly difficult year. And also, you mentioned uh, some relief in the latest uh, stimulus uh, bill. Right. So the city had a nonprofit um, relief program. And MCPA luckily benefited from that quite generously. We were uh, blessed that the, the city recognized the importance of MCPA and that they didn't want it to go away. So we, we got some funding there. And then in the stimulus bill that passed at the end of the year, the Save Our Stages Act, um, they've renamed it now, but the Save Our Stages Act was approved. So shutter, it's, they're called Shuttered Venue Relief, um, and they haven't announced the exactly when that will open up, but any day now we expect those applications to be opened. Um, and if you show a, a loss, an income loss, which mm-hmm. we absolutely had, yeah. you know, we should be able to get some funding. A grant, that's a grant. So that will not be dissimilar to the Paycheck Protection Program for for-profit businesses, right? It's something that you will apply for and uh, uh, hopefully uh, get approved uh, in that respect. Yes, and it's through the Small Business Administration just the same way. Um, There was another round of the Payment Protection Program that was released, but you can't uh, get funding from both. So we've been sort of holding off on that because I think our our potential through the Save Our Stages is is greater. And uh, obviously that would uh, reserve uh, more money for uh, other businesses uh, outside of the arts uh, that are struggling as well. Uh, Now, you also, as we mentioned, have started to uh, plan for the 20 2021 22 season. What can you tell us about uh, ramping up activity, uh, both with respect to the season itself and other uh, programs? I know uh, this past uh, summer uh, had some outdoor concerts, some outdoor uh, events, and, and planning for that again as well, I understand. Yeah, so we plan to have Boogie. Of course, I always put an asterisk next to plan since COVID hit. Sure. <laughs> Unless dot, dot, dot. Um, but we're planning to have Boogie in our parking lot again. So we missed it last year. We'll bring it back this year and then do some outside programming. It went really well last year, and we look forward to doing it. Um, the question is, will we need to do the, the circles on the pavement and mm-hmm. the, the pod, or will we be able to be a little more free? Depends on what's happening in, in the world, of course. Um, but we look to at least June through you know September have some outdoor shows. And then in September, move things back inside. A lot of the programs that I'm booking for the 21-22 season, which would start in September, were shows that were supposed to happen this season. So I didn't. we never even got to the point of announcing them. So they'll right. be new to everybody, but they're really just moved dates. Um, there will be some additions, too. Uh, one thing that I do know is that it's not likely to include a big Broadway show. All the talk I've had with the agents is that um, we... At MCPA, we're small enough that we do what are called one-offs. So that means they come here for one night only. Mm-hmm. And it'll at least be 22, 23 season before theater companies, touring Broadway companies, will do one-offs. So they're going to spend next season going places like bigger theaters where they can sit there for three months because it's safer for them. Mm-hmm. And and to a certain extent, that is one of the challenges uh, that that you have, and really all performing arts uh, venues have, uh, is that you are at the mercy of uh, what the uh, artists and the performers are are comfortable doing, what they are able to do with respect to uh, touring. So uh, you're actually kind of having to serve two masters, as it were. Yeah, I mean, a lot of artists have, have just put off touring and they haven't announced when they're coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, yeah, we we need them to come through Findlay, Ohio, in order to put them on our stage. Now that doesn't mean we can't do some local stuff as well. You know, last summer we presented some local bands, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But I think that beautiful theater people expect and want to see national touring artists as well. Um, so you know, it's just sort of juggling that. I feel bad for their agents. <laughs> Right. I mean, everybody uh, is impacted uh, by this. And and in the meantime, as you mentioned, some of these are uh, shows that were uh, essentially rescheduled from the never announced season uh, that uh, we would be in the middle of now and uh, some from the season before performances uh, that were uh, canceled. And uh, also uh, you had mentioned, and again, this information went to uh, patrons and, and also is uh, posted on the website, statuses of uh, tickets and, and so on for shows uh, that were sold but never happened. What, where, where do things stand with that? Yeah, so right now we're offering refunds to everybody that had tickets to shows that have not happened to date. Um, a lot of people have been really generous in donating those back. Mm-hmm. In fact, about $20,000 worth have been donated back, which is invaluable to, to MCPA making it through this hiatus. Um, but we just felt like we couldn't hold on to people's tickets for two years, their cash for two years, and expect, especially when we didn't know when a show was going to be rescheduled. Right. So basically what we're saying is let us give us your money back if the show is rescheduled. And there are about four or five that we know might be rescheduled. Mm-hmm. We will give you early access to tickets for those shows. Okay. Because, I mean, you had your tickets, we, but we just right. don't want to sit on your money for that long. So, it it's not fair. So essentially, uh, if you are still holding on to tickets for a show, hoping it will be rescheduled, uh, thinking that they're uh, going to be good for that rescheduled show if and when it doesn't happen, you're just kind of avoiding uh, that. We're going to refund the money and start from scratch is essentially what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, we're starting okay. fresh. It's yeah. just It's been long enough that I, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And we hope people understand that. You know, we, we're not trying to take their good seats away from sure. them. We're sure they get good seats if it is rescheduled. Yeah. Now, uh, again, as you're uh, putting together uh, what will hopefully be a full season of uh, shows for 2021-22, uh, when will you be ready to announce that, or is that kind of fluid uh, at this point? Yeah, it's all pretty fluid. Um, I'm hoping for June, which is traditionally when we would announce the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, I keep saying unless, you know, no one right. saw this coming, and I never had conversations with the agents and saying, well, if we're only able to sell 20% of the house because of COVID restrictions, right. you know, what will happen? And I'm, I'm having to have those conversations. And you know, th- we could get to June, and there could be some third, fourth, fifth wave of something, but oh, that's the plan forbid. right now. Yeah, heaven forbid. Uh, you know, again, this is unprecedented, uh, something that they that they don't uh, they don't train you for. There's no, uh, there's no book on this, so everybody's kind no. of... Uh, kind of feeling their way uh, as we go along, but another sign of optimism that maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So good to know there. Again, uh, MCPA Executive Director Heather Klo with us uh, this morning at the latest update from the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. We're going to link up on our webpage for more information on what's happening. And of course, uh, watch that web space for uh, uh, more to come uh, as we move forward. Heather, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, immediately after the riot at the U.S. Capitol earlier this month, corporate America responded by announcing en masse the suspension of political donations to those who perpetuated the narrative of a rigged or stolen election, which is an interesting development and leads to a number of questions. Will they follow through on that threat? If so, for how long? And how does this impact the status quo of elections in America. Joining us this morning is Brendan Quinn, who's with the Center for Responsive Politics, OpenSecrets.org, which is a nonprofit research group which tracks corporate giving and its influence on politics and policy. And Brendan, this is something that the major media outlets r- reported on, but really haven't spent a great deal of time examining. I- explain kind of in general terms why this is potentially a really big deal. Well, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said potentially a big deal, because there is a lot of nuance to this subject. Basically, every corporation that has planned to change the way that they give through their PACs, their political action committees, has pledged something different. And no one has really put a 
time on how long this ban or this holdoff or this change in operation will last. If it only lasts through the end of 2021, it won't really be that big of an impact. We're pretty much as far away as we can be from an election right now. The next major federal election will be the midterms in 2022. Right. And if they only hold off giving for 2021, they can still give the maximum allowed in this cycle. Just do that in 2022, closer to the election. And some of them are only holding off giving to the 147 Republican objectors. Some of them are giving... Uh, to Democrats, but not Republicans, and some aren't giving at all. So there's a lot of nuance in this situation right now that we are trying to follow all of it. Now, is that the most likely scenario that uh, if they uh, do withhold their giving, it would only be through the end of this year? I mean, as much as politicians depend on corporate money to finance their campaign, corporations depend on the quid pro quo that it often creates. And so can they really afford to let go of that influence? Right. Uh, We don't really know how long any of these pledges are going to last. So it's really hard to say right now what that's going to look like come next year, come two years from now, come the 2024 presidential election. Uh, I will say, though, that this kind of giving impacts some members of Congress more than others. Right. So these corporate PACs that give, they're allowed to give up to $5,000 in an election cycle directly to a candidate. And this kind of giving is heavily impacting more the people who are in safe districts. So a Republican in the safe red district or a Democrat in the safe blue district, corporate PACs give significantly less to people in competitive districts and people running for the first time. So the people that are going to be more impacted by this pledge are going to be people who have been in Congress for probably a number of cycles now and have used this PAC money not just to fend off mostly primary challengers, because as I said, they're not really competitive in the general election, Mm -hmm. uh, but also to influence the party as well and buy themselves leadership positions. You referenced the midterm elections and and the fact that no Mm -hmm. one, no, the fact that no one seems to be talking about this would seem to indicate that uh, politicians don't view this as a long-term thing. They think that the big money will be back. But as you kind of alluded to, even if it does, it could still be a big problem for incumbent House Republicans uh, in the meantime, in the House, because they have elections to worry about every two years. Are they doomed? Oh, yeah. Are, Are they doomed if these corporate donations aren't there? I wouldn't say they're doomed, but it will cause some problems, and particularly in primaries. Looking forward, the Republican Party has to figure out whether it's going to be the party of Trump or the party of the Republicans who, I won't say never Trump, but who were not as strongly President Trump's supporters. Right. And there's going to be a lot of fights in the primaries coming up in the spring of next year. And these people who represent safe districts are going to want as much money as they can have for the primaries. And we've also so heard... they're going to struggle if they're not getting corporate PAC money. And, and no, I was going to say, and uh, we've also heard that a number of those who broke with the uh, Trump-aligned uh, sector of the party are suddenly uh, going to face uh, challengers. We talked about uh, Liz Cheney uh, in mm. Wyoming and and others who may all of a sudden find themselves uh, with what they thought was a safe seat, uh, fending off uh, primary challengers that they didn't expect prior to all of this. And I I guess it also leads to the question, if uh, again, if the corporations do follow through and hold back this money, what would be the implication if it is a more permanent change? If it is a more permanent change, I will say this. In recent cycles, the influence of corporate PACs has actually dwindled. uh, And that's for two major reasons. Uh, One is the amount of giving by individuals, so just normal citizens giving directly to candidates, has increased in a huge way since 2016. And we're seeing more and more candidates, particularly uh, in the Republican Party, those who have aligned themselves more with President Trump because he's been such a magnet for small individual giving getting more and more of their money from individuals. And since these corporate PACs are capped at $5,000 direct giving to candidates, 
the more money you're getting from individuals and the more individual donors you have, the less that corporate PAC giving really impacts you. Mm-hmm. And the other the other reason why corporate PAC influence has dwindled uh, is that there are so many other ways uh, in the post-Citizens United era uh, for corporate money to get into elections. While corporations are barred from giving directly to candidates, uh, they can spend on what is called independent expenditures and give money to super PACs and other groups that do those independent expenditures. And they are not limited at all in the amount of money that they give to these groups. A corporation can write a check for $100 million through Super PAC, which can then spend money on any race it wants for or against a candidate. And so I think this would just be part of a progression of the dwindling influence of corporate PACs. So that's an interesting point. Uh, Again, because it it sounds good in a soundbite that uh, we're – you know, taking a stand and we're not going to contribute to these individual members uh, that, that we have a problem with. But if they're still writing huge checks to the super PACs, I mean, in the end, uh, in the final analysis, the end result is pretty much the same, isn't it? Yes and no. Um, it's a lot easier to trace the money directly to a corporation, even if it's not the corporate funds that are funding that PAC, most of the time it's going to be employees of that corporation, Mm -hmm. uh, to tie that to the interest of the corporation that giving. Uh, And as of right now, again, we never predict how things may change, but corporations themselves don't write the big checks to super PACs. It's actually mega donors who are often the CEO or a senior member of the board of a corporation who are writing those big checks so that it's less likely to be affiliated directly with the corporation. Yeah. Uh, I, again, and I, I guess when I look at this, I, I, I think there are a couple of ways you can look at it. I mean, some people uh, may celebrate the move. Those who have uh, wanted to do away with big money politics for a long time, although, as you said, uh, that may or may not be the end result. Uh, but I, I wonder if this kind of takes the leash off of corporate influence in politics and policy, or does it yank the chain even tighter? I would say, again, it's it's kind of a little too early to make any predictions to that effect. Because right now we don't know how long these caps are going to last. Right. I'd say it would, be, it would be better to make that prediction next spring when a number of these Republicans representing districts that aren't competitive in the general are facing competitive primaries mm-hmm. and seeing how any corporate influence money is being spent then so, come next April or May. Yeah, so jury's still out on exactly how big of a deal this is, but certainly a story worth watching. Uh, again, maybe not necessarily now, but the closer we get to the midterm elections. Again, uh, Brendan Quinn... Yes. Uh, Brendan Quinn is with the Center for Responsive Politics, OpenSecrets.org. They are a nonprofit research group which tracks corporate giving and its influence on politics and policy. Brendan, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Some agriculture news for you this morning. Traditionally, of course, agriculture is the domain of rural America. But the 2018 Farm Bill included a provision calling for the development of a new office within the USDA to build up and build out processes supporting those involved with the innovative practices of urban agriculture over the course of the past year. USDA contributor Rod Bain this morning looks at the progress in developing this new office in today's Everyday Agriculture Report. The Office of Urban Agriculture and Innovative Production was established in the 2018 Farm Bill. We did get the appropriation, $5 million for 2020. We went very quickly to establish the office. Kevin Norton's role in the quick development of the Agriculture Department's new Office of Urban Ag over the last few months stems in part from the role of acting chief of the Natural Resources Conservation Service. While it's housed in NRCS, it actually works across the entirety of USDA. We have an internal coordinating committee that represents all of the agencies of USDA that have an engagement in urban landscapes and agriculture research. The Forest Service is even present, Agriculture Marketing Service, all of the different agencies are represented. Among the first programs rolled out in the urban agricultural mission area 
were two funding programs. As explained by NRCS's Terry Daddio. One is community composting and food waste reduction, and that is a cooperative agreement program with municipalities, and they have to provide at least 25% of the project cost. She says 13 municipalities were awarded grant funding in 2020 for projects including getting food waste out of the garbage stream and getting that into composting. Also finding other ways to have food waste reduction where that food can be used in another area. The second funding program involves urban agricultural grant awards. This is open to nonprofits, local governments on a wide variety of urban agriculture and also for schools. So it can be for education, setting up school gardens, setting up an urban farm. An important aspect of the Office of Urban Agriculture and Innovative Production will be feedback from stakeholders. To that end, two mechanisms are coming into place. The first borrows from an existing model the Farm Service Agency County Committee. What these urban county committees will be doing will be representing urban and suburban agricultural producers and work on ways to encourage and even promote urban, indoor, and other emerging agricultural production practices that are more easily or readily adopted in kind of an urban setting. Richard Fordyce served as FSA Administrator during 2020 when the Urban Ag County Committee pilot program was rolled out. And recently, NRCS called for applications to be accepted for a new advisory committee. It's a 12-person committee advisory to the Secretary of Agriculture. They'll provide us needed input and feedback to improve our services to urban farmers, exploration of technology, methods of engaging the agriculture production and innovation within the urban areas. More information about USDA's Office of Urban Agriculture and Innovative Production can be found online at www.farmers.gov urban. And there's full information of the different aspects of the office. They're frequently asked questions and answers about the funding program, and there's other information there about what the office is doing. With more activity and updates expected from this new USDA office throughout 2021. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Worth pointing out that, uh, again, this Office of Urban Agriculture within the USDA called for in the 2018 Farm Bill, not an initiative of the previous administration. Uh, it was uh, actually part of the Farm Bill, so not something that would just be dropped and forgotten uh, with the uh, change of the administration. And we have a link up on our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. You want to learn more about that. Today's Everyday Agriculture report. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Kind of a light day in the broken news, the odd and unusual side of the news, uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A hotel owner in uh, North Wales, the United Kingdom, was uh, was fast asleep. She's a hotel owner. She was fast asleep when she heard strange noises outside of her bedroom during the night. Uh, she uh, got up to confront the intruder, the hotel, and found it was a goat. <laughs> uh, no word on how the goat got in, uh, but uh, upon being confronted, the goat left. The ho- uh, hotel owner says she must have left a side door unlocked after taking out her dog, which would explain how the uh, goat got inside, but I'm not really sure. <clears throat> It's a good thing the alarm system didn't go off, you know, and the cops show up and all of that, only to find a goat. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of odd. Um, Police in Altoona, Pennsylvania, say 36-year-old Terry Fornari Jr. uh, was uh, driving on a suspended license and probably under the influence on Thursday when he led officers on a chase. After driving away from a routine traffic stop, he's accused of running 12 stop signs and one red light before pulling into a driveway and stopping. He just said, okay, that's enough. Pulled into his driveway. At that point, he exited the car on foot and ran through a yard nearby. Police, when they caught up to him, he had a a can of beer in his front pocket of his coat, and there was a case of beer on the passenger seat of the car. He is now charged with uh, DUI, among other things, and 12 stop signs and (laughs) one. Uh, one traffic light. They've got uh, plenty to choose from to charge him with. Again, kind of a light day in the uh, broken news. Not a whole lot weird going on. This is kind of a good story out of Arkansas. Carrie Middlebrook 
uh, stopped by a convenience store and decided to uh, grab a lottery ticket. She didn't want to spend a whole lot of money, so she was just going to get like uh, one of the cheap uh, scratch-off tickets, you know, the dollar scratch-off. But apparently the store clerk misheard her, and instead of giving her like the the $1 uh, scratch-off ticket, uh, he gave her a $20 scratch-off ticket. Well, she decided, I'll just keep the ticket anyway. And it ended up being the top prize of over a million dollars. <laughs> All because of a mistake. Uh, she is planning to put a large portion of the win toward her retirement, uh, but also planning to ta- pay off her uh, home and, and her car as well. So That is a happy mistake. Why don't those kinds of mistakes ever happen to me, you know? And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, I told you it's kind of a light day, not a whole lot going on, but this is a, a, a really cool story as well. Out of the billions of the people uh, of people in the world, it is no surprise that someone else out there could have the exact same name as you. Uh, have you ever Googled your name to find out who else shares your name? I've done that, and I there are a number of people that share my name. What may be surprising, though, is that when one man found others with his name, they decided to start a band. (laughs) Paul O'Sullivan was perusing Facebook when he randomly decided to search his own name and send out friend requests to all of his name twins. Uh, Anybody who popped up with his same name, he sent out friend requests. And uh, after a few accepted, he realized throughout their posts that they actually had some things in common and sent a message to each of them individually and they all responded that thing in common was music and thus the paul o'sullivan band was born it is a quartet comprised of four pauls paul o'sullivan of manchester england age 57 paul o'sullivan of rotterdam netherlands age 52 Paul O'Sullivan of Weatherly, Pennsylvania, age 57, and Paul O'Sullivan of Baltimore, Maryland, no age given. And to differentiate between each other, they use the location where they are from. Baltimore Paul, Weatherly Paul, Rotterdam Paul, and Manchester Paul. The bandmates have yet to meet in person, except for Pennsylvania Paul and Baltimore Paul have already recorded a song together called Namesake, which is about a long-distance relationship, much like their own. Uh, While they are definitely having fun making music together, the Pauls say that their bond goes beyond music and they have gained brothers for life. There is something very difficult to put your finger on about the friendship that you develop with people you share your name with, Manchester Paul explained. Quote, I never thought it was a thing, but indeed, it is a very nice thing. So, there you go. That is really sweet. Paul O'Sullivan Band. That is today's broken news report, the odd and unusual side of the news, a service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN thanks you for listening and reminds you to listen online around the clock at WFIN.com. Gordon Deal, Good Mornings with Chris Oaks, plus Brian Kilmeade, Bill O'Reilly, Rush Limbaugh, and Dave Ramsey. Plus, you'll get all our locally originated sports programming. Listen live and grab our free mobile apps for iOS or Android at WFIN.com. Your uh, daily download this morning, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, toy sales surging amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Figures from the NPD group show that toy sales uh, topped $25 billion in the U.S. last year. And interestingly, a lot of it was not high-tech stuff. Uh, The Marketing Research Group says uh, sales jumped 16% from 2019 as families spent more on toys during the lockdown. Sports toys like skateboards had the biggest gains, followed by fashion dolls and Lego sets. And by the way, just in case you're curious, and this is worth noting, toy sales actually spiked, not at Christmas time, but in May, after the first wave of federal stimulus checks hit many bank accounts. Interesting. Well, if your uh, kids have the uh, day off, maybe take them out to the uh, parks today. 
sure. It's a great way. It's the cure for cabin fever. Uh, <laughs> right. Michelle Rumschlag is uh, with us uh, this morning, and uh, maybe today is not the best day to uh, be out in the parks necessarily with the uh, weather being what it is, but. Just you know. dress for the weather, appropriate footwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be a little um, slick on the trails. It just depends with the ice yeah. and, and the. And if it's raining, it was missing when I came in. Um, there's nothing worse than it being cold and raining. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's, <laughs> if it's just true. snow or even not freezing rain, I don't want to wish that on us, but right? Because then you just get cold and wet. That's like the worst yeah, thing. Yeah, that it, is. It's just either just, just snow. Just. But uh, anyway. Um, like we said, you get cabin fever. This is the time of year yeah. when cabin fever does tend to uh, settle in, and uh, this is a good way of you know, breaking out of that. Head to the parks; they're all open. Yes. Oh, yes. We have- always. Yes, we've always been open, and um, just dawn till dusk. So mm-hmm. we don't want y'all at night unless we're doing something there. <laughs> right. But, but um, yeah, if, if you need to get some fresh air, and that's the way to do it. You can you can come on out to the parks today. But there are a uh, limited number of uh, uh, programs and activities, limited number of uh, amount of programming that's actually right. being done. Right. Uh, Everything's still virtual. Yeah. Um, so why we're still under this red color, mm-hmm. which, you know, I know we've been watching our numbers and things are dropping. So we're hopefully getting to orange yeah. soon. Crossing our fingers. Right. That we can get things back opened up again um, for programs. And so... Yeah, everything's online, so we do, of course, our virtual experiences. Um, and I've mentioned before, if you get on there, or I think there's a link on our website, we have a YouTube page. So if you've missed something or you're sick of the dreary outside and mm-hmm. want to see some sunny green, you can go and watch a, a virtual experience I did in the summertime or spring wildflowers <laughs> and just go. get your sun fixed. Yeah. So you can head over, and, and all of them are on on, uh, we have, uh, on the YouTube page. Yeah, we have. W- one of the things that, that we have talked about uh, actually in the past uh, is the pandemic. The good side of, of all of this is that we've kind of discovered uh, different ways of uh, introducing people to the various programming that, that you typically do in person at the parks. Right. And doing that in the virtual space uh, and allowing everybody to participate you know, whenever it's convenient for them. Right. And, you know, and right away we kind of jumped on it. You know, it's been almost a year. It, you know, we, it was like everything kind of shut down or schools canceled right before maple sugaring. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to do it again this year just because we can't, yeah. you know, really do anything. So, you know, we're working on our spring calendar, but yet, bef- you know, we're not going to announce anything until we know we're good again in that orange and we can open up and do programs. So mm-hmm. once that happens, you know, look for the website and we'll get things on there. But we've got, you know, we're optimistic and we've got our, our spring planned. We've got some of our summer camps planned. So as soon as we know we're good, you know, we'll get that on there. But yeah, I mean, we were, we think one of the first to, okay, let's get on and do things on, on Facebook Live. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's coming up to almost close to a year that we, I did the first one at Blue Rock when the, yeah. um, the tree, or not the tree frogs, the the frogs, the chorus frogs. Excuse me, we're out there singing and making noise, mm-hmm. and and we, you know we do them now, you know, the three times a week. So we can envision some of that continuing. Uh, we're still going to continue through it now, and and we've been talking. So once we get back into like our full gamut of open houses and stuff, we probably won't do it, or we'll scale it back mm-hmm. to a thing where you know we think we'll still do a discovery story. Because if somebody can't come right. to our public day yeah. because the kids are sick or it's just, you know, the kids aren't in the right mood, you know, we still want to have that access. So we'll still do, still do that. Probably some history ones here and there. And then I do, of course, hit the hit the trails on Friday. Um, and I think I still highlight some things that are happening yeah. in nature to say, hey, come on out to the parks. Mm-hmm. Come find this. So we're going to do it on a limited basis. But right now, yeah, we still plan on doing yeah. The good news is, Three days a week. as you were saying, you are uh, kind of scheduling behind the scenes yes. for the things you can do when you can do them. So if folks were curious about things like summer camps coming up and, right. and things like that, you are making those preliminary plans. Yes, we're hoping, you know, last year, you know, we just didn't know what was happening. And so we ended up not doing really any of our summer camps. And mm-hmm. then we just did some limited things. And even in this fall, we, we got to do our story times again, again, with limited numbers, that, that group of 10, keeping under that. Right. And so we're hoping at least to get back to that once everything clears. Mm-hmm. And then we can expand into those larger those larger groups so um i know with maple sugaring like our virtual experiences in march 
all of them are going to be maple sugaring themed. So our stories for Discovery Stories, of course, all the history will be cooking with maple syrup in the house. And then my my hit the trail ones will be, you know, what is maple sugaring and the, the science behind it in sap flow. And so if you're really needing to get your maple sugaring fix, because <laughs> this will be our second year, which is kind of hard to believe that we yeah. won't be able to do it. Right. We still want to provide that information to you. So that'll be all March, mm-hmm. all maple sugaring and then hopefully later in the spring and into the summer and certainly yeah. into the fall we'll uh, be back with uh, in-person we're, programming. we're hoping i mean we plan for it to be you know ready to go and like i said we do have some classrooms and some things online that we're doing besides just the virtual experiences that you can check out but mm-hmm. un- until uh also, uh, wanted to uh, make the point, because this is the time when a lot of people start to think about uh, gatherings in the uh, summertime and renting facilities mm-hmm. for uh, maybe weddings or class reunions or family gatherings, that kind of thing. You still uh, accepting those reservations? No, we have put a pause okay. on that, um, and it's been like that way for a while. I mean, okay. last year we were kind of going with, you know, what the governor was telling us with group sizes. And so we let some people that had stuff in the spring reschedule for the fall. But right now we have a pause on all of our rental facilities. Okay. Um, you know, I know, I think later on this year, once things hopefully again, you know, the, the color coding changes, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to reassess that of, you know, and again, that's bigger groups. That's right. different than us doing a program with nine sure. people scheduled. Then, yeah, right. I want a wedding with 200 people at the lodge. Yeah. So right now, no, you can't get on and reserve any of the facilities. But, you know, we're just kind of, again, watching like everybody else. And mm-hmm. once once it's deemed safe that we can have bigger groups, the, th- then that will then that will open yeah, up. The, the reason I, I bring that up, because a lot of times those uh, facilities book up well in advance. Right. And so people may be thinking, gee, I'm not sure if I'll be able to have this, but should I go ahead and get it booked just in case? Mm-hmm. And it's just not available, so right. uh, just stay tuned for when it may be. Right. I mean, you can check, but yeah, I don't think we have a date that we're looking. Again, we're just kind of watching the numbers like right. everybody else. So it's not like, as of this day, we'll know. We just... Yeah. Like everything else, we're waiting and seeing. That's that's <laughs> when the game is frustrating because it's like, can we do it live with groups? Do we have to do it virtually? Right. So, kind of in so we will have some yeah things if we can't do in person in March. Um, some little virtual classes or virtual programs that okay. you will be able to get online and 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 watch. So we're still doing some things. Right. More information on that, obviously, the Facebook page, YouTube channel, mm-hmm. the website. Website, HancockParks.com. You can get on there. Like I said, there's a few things on the calendar coming up for February, just some nature's virtual classroom. We've got a quilted table runner workshop that's happening in February. So there's a few things there. No skiing. I mean, I, who well, knows? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, again, for those who are running out of things to do. We still have stuff. some things. You've got some right. stuff. Some, uh, some things on there. It's limited. But, yeah, as soon as we can get people back into our programs, I know I, I know Rick's, we'll be excited. They'll be excited. I mean, it'll be absolutely just to get out and to see people and interact and and in the meantime, the parks are open if you need to bust it, out. You know, maybe drive through and sit in the parking lot, get that fresh air. <laughs> if you don't want to get out and roam around and park to your, your, your car, you can at least hit that. Michelle Rumslag with the Hancock Park District with us uh, this morning. we got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information about the things that are happening virtually. Michelle, thanks very much for dropping by. We thanks appreciate it. Having me. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, are autonomous vehicles still the next big thing? We'll examine where the technology that once promised to make our roads accident-free stands today. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.